It is the 21st century. There are too many video games. But out there, it's waiting. The best video game you've never played. Hello and welcome to The Best Video Game You've Never Played, the podcast where I, stand-up and improv comedian Lewis Dunn, change the format for a special episode. Yes, that's right. Normally what happens on this show is that I invite guests on and they bring on a game that they think is the best video game I've never played. But this week, and hopefully in subsequent weeks, we're going to be shaking up the format every so often to do the inverse. I'm going to be bringing on a guest who we've already had on the podcast and suggesting to them the best video game they've never played and then having a chat with them about whether or not they think it's their favourite video game that they had never played before. So, uh, we're bringing back Kieran Douglas, who last time he was on the show uh, brought on Outer Wilds and I've brought Kieran back onto the podcast and... In a lot of ways, it's going to feel like a homecoming for him. And uh, I mean, you've probably read the title of the podcast already, but I like doing these little hints. So uh, let's bring back on Kieran Douglas to find out what's the best video game they've never played. Welcome back, Kieran. How have you been? I've been all right. Thank you, Lewis. How have you been? I have been very good, Kieran. I've been feeling excellent this week, partly because I finished a huge video game uh, that I did for this podcast, and I followed it up with uh, recommending to you a video game that I think is one of the best video games that you've never played in a fun reversal of format. And uh, I literally just finished playing it this evening because it's a very short video game. Uh, And that video game is Gone Home by The Fulbright Company. Uh, which was released in 2013. It's a first-person exploration game, and it's all about coming home to your family home and finding out what has happened in your absence. So tell me, Kieran, in the first place, what was your expectation of this video game? So obviously, um, you know, we're playing Gone Home now after there has been, you know, almost, well, maybe seven and a half years of critical analysis of it, and I suppose what you would call the the walking simulator genre, which it didn't necessarily start spawn. I think there was Dear Esther before it, um, but it was certainly one of the the biggest early examples of the walking simulator. So you know, I, I went in knowing you know this is a, this is a game where there isn't that much interactivity to it. Um, it's um, it, it is about the story, it's the journey, um, it's um, it's about experiencing this. Um, I knew it would be relatively short. Um, I knew it would have emotion and I knew it had a good story. Um, so I think uh, I, I was looking into this with, with a story in mind, uh, with with kind of learning about these people. It's I think it is interesting, as, as you said, that um, obviously I gave you Outer Wilds, that you've given me uh, Gone Home, because they are both about basically finding out what happened um, so I think it is, it's good to compare and contrast in that respect. Yes, in many ways I feel like Gone Home, lots of the, the to call them mechanics gives them a grandiose level of attention that maybe is a bit over the top, but like a lot of the ideas in the way that Gone Home tells its story appeared in Outer Wilds. And when I was playing Outer Wilds, I made that connection between these two ideas. I was going like, 
oh, Outer Wilds is building on something that I think uh, Gone Home established and sort of made big. Not necessarily to the stage where like every video game is now Gone Home. It's not necessarily that. No. It's not Call of Duty 4 or anything like that. <laughs> um, but you look to the indie game world and you look to uh, how developers now approach storytelling when they've got a smaller, more intimate story to tell. And I feel like Gone Home is that foundation rock. It's that game that came out that was a big hit. I should say that as well. The Fulbright Company, and this is their second game. It's their debut game as an independent publisher, uh, as an independent developer. Um, But Gone Home basically made the walking sim as a genre more established outside of something like Dear Esther, which did get a lot of criticism when it came out, primarily because it doesn't actually feature any any real walking. input from the player. Yeah, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't require any input from the player except from can you sit there and listen to the story, please? Yeah. I don't think Gone Home is guilty of that. No, it isn't. I think Gone Home does engage its player uh by asking not only for you to explore an environment uh, but also to engage with what you're reading, what you're hearing, and what you're finding. Definitely, and 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 it is it's a story of of the environment and and the people. But uh, yeah, I, I think what you're saying in in the sense that you you can see Gone Home's fingerprints on Outer Wilds. Definitely. Uh, I mean, certainly, you know, Outer Wilds development started in I think 2014, 2015. So you're talking a year, eighteen months after the release of out of uh, of Gone Home it would very much have been on the radar of the developers um in in terms of uh, in terms of how to build a game in terms of what works and i think it is similar in that you know you you don't really uh, I, I, you don't directly interact with the world you don't change the world so to speak um and i think that is the same in uh, in gone home it's it's finding things out it's it's like like you said it's discovering the truth and and I think I agree. Yes, there there is there is gameplay to it. There is gameplay because you have instances like um, locked doors in the house where you're, yes. you're walking down the corridor and there's a locked door, and straight away you think, okay, because you know you've played video games before, you think, okay, well there must be a key somewhere or a way to get to that locked door. There must be that that's something that I'll have to come back to later. Um, which to me that is a very kind of fundamental gameplay element. Um, which isn't something that you'd really get in a film, other than, I guess you could say it's a Chekhov's gun. Um, <laughs> yes, it's a video game. You're like, a locked door, in a game this size at least, will probably be opened. Yes, of course. One of the things one of the things I really love about this game, something actually that I found, because I replayed it this evening, mm. this game is, if you haven't played it before, it's about two hours long. Uh, if you have played it before, it can be less than a minute long. Yes, indeed. Uh, so it's... It's also similar to Outer Wilds in that respect, in that if you know what you're doing, you can complete this game in a stupidly small amount of time. You can hit the right buttons in the right order, yes, because that, that's ultimately what the game is. But I think in the instance of both games, doing that completely ruins the fun of it. Completely 100%. ruins why you would like to play this game, because ultimately Gone Home comes from a bunch of developers that initially worked together on making uh, the downloadable content for Bioshock 2, a game called Minerva's Den. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. They they were founded as a separate company within the Bioshock 2 dev team. Uh, that's where the original... That's the original Fulbright company game. And they made it on the basis that they wanted to make something narratively interesting. And then off the back of that, they went on to make Gone Home, where they wanted to make one that was interesting, but also you weren't killing spliced-up mutants under the sea. Yes. <laughs> and 
I think there's a lot of Bioshock in Gone Home. Because, like Bioshock, Gone Home is all about environmental storytelling. It's not just the literal scraps of paper that you pick up that tell you what characters are doing and what their jobs are. It's also, uh, you can find out what's going on with the parents in this story, even though the parents are not the focus point of this story at all. Yes, yes. You can find out their professions, you can find out their ongoing problems and grievances. Uh, And you also, like, you come into this house in the game, and uh, one of the first things you notice when you arrive there is that it's full of moving boxes. So you instantly learn, oh, they've not been here long. Oh, it's it's an excellent example of environmental storytelling. You know, it ju- just in terms of, um, you know, e- even if you don't pick up a single piece of paper or anything, you can learn so much about the family and the world. You know, you can see, you can look at the technology and you can see, okay, well, this is, you know, obviously the mid-90s and you look at the fashions, you look at the books. Um, so you, you've got like the crates of books and things. You've got the the library. You've got all sorts of, of stuff like that. It it is you know, that the world is meticulously detailed. You know, I think everything is has purpose in the world. Absolutely, yeah. I I, I think that uh, the developers have gone home will probably have spent more time agonising over where to put everything and what should be in every room than necessarily you know how how quick can they get the frame rate to run and how high resolution should each of these things be oh definitely there's a sense of almost set dressing to this world in a way and it and it i think exemplifies one of the biggest strengths of video games which is that you don't have to be told a story the same way that everyone else got told it yes there are fixed elements in this plot that you're going to encounter but you won't necessarily find everything in the same order as someone else you will pick up on details other people might have missed and that's really interesting because also this game is probably one of the best video games i've ever played when it comes to red herring and blind alley storylines i think gone home hides its main story well enough that by the time you find out it's not like a disarming or or a surprise or it's like come out of nowhere but i think gone home really plays with player expectation one of the tags on this game if you go on the Steam store, is supernatural and horror. And that's because if you go into this video game without any expectations of what type of story it's going to be, and you play it on a completely surface val- surface level, and you are used to video games, you might think this game is going to turn nasty. I, I think that's a fair point. And, and I know when, when it did first come out, um, obviously there was... Certainly from the, and I use this in very heavy inverted commas here, true gamers, um, there was a lot of backlash. Because <laughs> um, I think people thought it was going to be something that it wasn't. They thought it was going to be a horror game, a supernatural game. And, and I remember watching a Let's Play of, um, of you know, it was a guy, he went through the first 20 minutes or so of it. Um, and he's kind of, the, the guy playing it is very cautious and he's thinking, is this going to be a horror game? You know, there's, you, you, you start off in the porch, um, you know, it, it's a dark and stormy night, um, that, that cliched thing. Um, you know, there's no one home, all the lights are off, um, you know, is, is the power out? And, and it can seem quite spooky, but of, of course it isn't. It's, it's mm. actually very, very not that. And I think that's why... Again, a lot of the very inverted commas true gamers were annoyed because they went in expecting, you know, intense thrills and action. And what they actually got was 
a story. Yes, and I think at this point we are going to have to throw up the big flag of spoilers. Uh, because Gone Home is a very short video game, and as a result, I feel like we've covered just about as much as we can yeah. without giving anything away. So if you've gotten this far into the podcast and you've never played Gone Home, I would recommend uh, skipping to the end to find out uh, the final conclusion, or even just stopping the podcast now, going and finding it and playing it. Odds are you have this video game. It's been given away for free a lot on things like PlayStation Plus, Epic Games Store. It's been in numerous Humble Bundles. You can even buy it now for £11. I would maybe recommend waiting for a sale or seeing if it pops up in another bundle. Um, but this video game has existed for a long time. You probably own it if you're a long-term gamer. You've got nothing to lose. You've got two hours to lose. And what are you going to do? Not go outside? So it's, it's, I agree. It's, it's absolutely something that's worth playing. Um, even if you're not really a fan of the genre just to see it and understand it and and understand its influence on games that have come out since. So, spoiler flag up. If you're still here, hopefully you've either played it or you've decided you're never going to play it. Um, Here's the thing about Gone Home. What a wonderfully restrained and real story this is. I'm... I fin- again finishing it today, and I, I, ha- I remember I had memories of playing this game, and I had memories of like where the game ends and sort of the overriding theme of the game. But I can't like I've never I've never felt a video game has been more realistic in terms of just the story it's telling. And there's so many places this story could have gone off the deep end and could have gone harder and could have like made its emotional punches even like grimmer or sadder or bigger. But no. It's, for, it's it's a human scale story, and it is and it is a lovely story. It, it really is. Um, and and again, since, since we're in the territory of spoilers, um, I think we can say that it's nice to see um, lesbians represented in essentially a a, a regular love story. Um, you know, this is not it's not exploitative. Uh, it's not um, you know it's not crude. Or anything, it's just straight up love between two people, and and you really can feel their relationship developing over time. It's very, very sweet. It's such a beautiful little story because, again, I think the temptation when you're trying to tell a story about this is to really, really emphasise the elements of this story that are going to be sad or are going to be difficult. Yeah. One of the crucial Forbidden elements love, of this, that kind of thing. Absolutely, but one of the things that's very central in this plot as it develops later on, is the character feels very nervous about the idea of um, coming out to the world as a lesbian. Uh, the character constantly ex- expresses certain levels of apprehension about how other people... Uh, they're in no, de- no denial at any point about their own feelings, I don't think. There's none of that element of... Um, yes. They themselves seem to be uh, comfortable with the idea that they are gay. But there's a moment where you hear the character talk about how the parents react... And I was so heartened that the way that they deal with that isn't to make the parents go ballistic, isn't to make the parents throw them out and destroy their lives and for it to become a huge melodrama, but the simple realistic thing of parents just going, oh, no, no, that can't be you. That can't be real. That's not that's not true. You're clearly confused. And, And even though that's not a huge dramatic moment in terms of like they're thrown out and disowned and the whole world collapses that's such a in a way that's sadder it's so much more powerful that the story doesn't become a melodrama 
Yeah, I think um, and I think this is it's a good time to talk about the um, the general kind of representation of of LGBT people um, and and how the parents treat it. And I think considering that this is a game which is set in 1995, the parental response is in, is very very progressive. Um, yes, <laughs> I think no, I think it is. I think it's it's quite telling that. Um, the, the the father's response to you know to his daughter coming out or, or I think before he realizes is that um, whenever she has her girlfriend over she's not allowed to lock her bedroom door and I, and I think that while that can be seen in one sense as oh this is overbearing parents I think that can also be interpreted as this is a parent treating their child as they would if this were a straight relationship you know it's it's, it's fairly common for I don't, I don't know, perhaps in the UK, but certainly in America for um, for parents to say, oh, you, you, if you have a male friend over, you're not allowed to lock your bedroom door. You have to leave your bedroom door open. And I think it's a, it's, yeah, that, it's an acceptance. They're more concerned yeah. about chastity than sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that is in itself an admission that, you know, this is this is his daughter. This is this is the father's daughter. I think it is the father that says that. Um, that he is that he's comfortable with his daughter. Obviously, you know, he's. He goes through the stages, which I think a lot of parents with queer children do, um, of you know trying to mm. learn. Um, but overall, I think the parents' response is, like you said, there was so much opportunity there for melodrama, which they didn't go down. Yeah, I think I think in particular, and also you get this story somewhat out of order as well. That this, obviously because it's all done through environmental storytelling, yes. and they certainly funnel you. They certainly find a direction uh to uh make sure that you you get certain story points at certain times well the very fact that the house is empty when you go in and you think oh you know when it starts to become apparent that because because it's you know it's it's dropped that this is this is a gay romance fairly early on and you think oh gosh has has she been kicked out has she has she run away because because they didn't accept her lifestyle and i think that's that's certainly something that was at the forefront of my mind you know thinking again mm. about the setting about this family living in you know, a mansion, you have this idea, or they might be a bit bit of a conservative, small C conservative family, uh, might not accept it. And that was certainly one of my concerns, you know, is, is this going to be that story? Yeah, and I think they do a very good, and again, it's, this is what I'm talking about. This is a game full of fantastic red herrings that play with your expectation of what you think the story might end up being. One of the things that the game has a fantastic the biggest red herring in the whole game is that there is this constant element of the house might be haunted yes <laughs> and, and you find out about the previous owner and like you hear stories that the previous owner was crazy and you hear all these different things and ultimately that storyline goes absolutely nowhere uh it deliberately builds and builds and builds throughout the narrative right up to the point that the penultimate thing you find is a like um a hidden pentagram room that the younger sister has uh, made so that she can do seances with her friend where they're clearly just winding each other up and having fun. And uh, But there's other red herrings in this story. There's a moment where you think you you find out things between the mum and the dad and you think, oh no, is their relationship like going to break down? There's lots of hints throughout the story, like letters from friends saying, oh no, don't be disheartened. The, you know? the hunky co-worker. Yeah, the hunky co-worker. Things, you know, things can get difficult... But the game, maybe those things are there, but the game doesn't make it about that. It's certainly not a game where the reveal is devastating or where the reveal changes the way 
that you completely view the house. It's not like suddenly you find the body. There's an amazing moment where you go into a bathroom and you look at the bath and it looks like there's blood. <laughs> oh, yes. Next to it, there's a red hair dye bottle. It's yeah. just very playful. They they know that they're leading you down these fake paths. They know you're expecting it to be a horror game. They slightly mislead you with the music at the start. They make it a little bit discordant, a little bit creepy. The thunderstorm as an ongoing presence in the game will jump and scare you if you're like on edge about the whole thing. And then the ending where you find out that the the thing that you've been trying to find out the whole time is actually something you knew the whole time, which is that your sister is in love and she's gone to be with the person that she loves. It's a lovely ending. Especially because they build so much tension and then the payoff is beautiful. <laughs> mm. I, I think, you know, there's... Obviously, it's not an ending which necessarily leaves you with resolutions. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's unresolved. You know, there's there's threads which are opened up, like, you know, the father's book career has, has obviously taken off again, or the, the parents are at the marriage retreat. Or indeed, just that, yeah, your sister has just run off to the middle of nowhere with the woman she loves, who's just, you know, decided that she's going to change the path of her life completely. Um, and And that's okay. You know, I, I think that is okay. I think it's, it, it, like I was saying, I think this is the most realistic storyline I've ever seen in any video game. I think the portrayal of the characters is beautiful. I think environmental storytelling is incredibly powerful and impressive. And I, I'm going to do the terrible thing again, Kieran. I've played nearly 40 hours of The Witcher 3. <laughs> and there's a lot about that game to admire, and there's a lot that's really impressive. And I think at one point, the biggest emotion I felt was... Oh, that's quite cute. And at the end of this game, after playing it this evening, and it took me 90 minutes to play this time because I, I sort of knew what was going on this time, I'm just on the verge of tears. I'm it, just so... It left me a bit misty-eyed, yes. It's so powerful to have a game that can... In 90, in 90 minutes, in 90 minutes, it's got me on the verge of tears. Like, it's one of... Like, you know, it's a brilliant film that, you know, even even most films don't even come close to the way I feel by the end of Gone Home. Mm. and and I, I, it's that idea of this is a game that knows its mechanics it knows its length you know again it's not it's not a 10 hour could you imagine a 10 hour gone home <laughs> like, I think that was everybody's gone to the rapture wasn't it oh yeah yeah that's not on my list um, <laughs> even I didn't finish everybody's gone to the rapture and one of my favourite video games is gone home so th- there was something which you mentioned back there which leads me to think that I think you may have missed some things in this game I almost certainly have. And you mentioned the red herring about something awful happening in the house and that being mm. because... Oh, sorry, I meant I meant the red herring of the idea of something awful happening in the house with regards to the people living there currently. Yeah, but I think... And, and this is something which I'm not going to claim I got it on the first hit, so I, I went and did some reading afterwards, but there is the child abuse subplot. Is there? Oh. I did miss that. I've never found oh, that. Oh, okay then. Yeah, so it's 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 definitely there. This isn't people, you know, reading into things which aren't there. Um, essentially, the um, the former owner, the uncle of the uh, of the player character, um, abused um, her father. Sorry, the great uncle uh, abused her father um, as a child. Oh, and that's why he left the house out of guilt. Uh, essentially, yes. So, so you find, for example, the old newspaper clippings about him opening his um, his pharmacy. And, and giving, you know, saying, oh, this is my favourite nephew and stuff. 
and in the basement um you've got like the height chart and stuff where the the father's um the father's height is recorded up to age 12 at which point he's taken away and then in the um in his will which you can find the will of the, the great uncle he left the father the house and obviously the father is very conflicted over all of this because um you know this is the house where he was sexually abused as a child um wow yeah you can find in the woodshed in the wood cellar uh you can find a toy rocking horse um which is it's a bit hackneyed um but uh <laughs> but it, it kind of emphasizes that yeah it's still been it's still there after all these years wow i did not and now that of course makes the title even mm. more it gives it another meaning i suppose wow yeah well i mean i mean the the power of environmental storytelling right the fact that that was nestled in this game the whole time i had no idea it was there it's not essential for enjoying this video not game. at all it's no. not it's not a a core component certainly we've sat here and talked about what is gone home about and that issue hasn't come up until you've gone there's something you missed and again i think another another reason this game is so great there's a whole world that they've written and built but you're not gonna you don't not only are you not necessarily going to find it all you don't have to find it all for it to be good and those who do seek it out are rewarded yeah I I think it's interesting the the, the way in which the characters in the game are shown because obviously there are in, in terms of characters I'd say you have the main character I'd say isn't the player I'd say the main character is the sister I can't, what do you have the names to hand because mm. I I can't remember the names it's Katie and Sam you play as Katie Sam is the younger sister yeah so I would say that Sam is probably the main character um, because the story it's a story about her it's not so much a story mm. about you um, you've got the player character. Um, yeah, you've got the father, who obviously is given quite a lot of um, of backstory and and other things. Um, you've got the mother, who is not that well developed, I would say. I mean, she she kind of exists. Um, yeah, she has her motivations. You know, you can see, okay, she's she's at the forestry service. You know, she's moving around. She's got promoted, etc. Um, and she she's contemplating an affair. Indeed, yes. Um, and you've got the. Um, the great uncle, who obviously uh, obviously did the abuse. So there are only five characters in this game with with varying levels of of fleshed outedness, three dimensions. Well, no, you've you've missed one of the most important characters. Who's that? You've missed out. Um, I want to say her name is Laurie. Oh Lauren? God, I did, didn't I? Yeah. How did I do that? Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yes, Lonnie. So Lonnie's Lonnie's crucial to this story. I thought you were going to say something facetious like Christmas duck or something like that. No, no, no. Yes. No, Christmas Duck is an obstacle. Christmas Duck is an adversary. <laughs> He's the first boss. Yeah, no, Lonnie, Lonnie is a... And I think, again, a fantastic... Well, actually, we should... I've been saying, oh, this game's wonderful for environmental storytelling. It's wonderful at environment. The game does explicitly have uh, what essentially amount to audio logs from yes, your younger does, sister yeah. that when you find certain objects trigger um, particular memories or particular um, insight into the younger sister... Uh, and it's through those that we tend to learn more about uh, Lonnie and her relationship uh, to um, Sam. Uh, uh, those audio logs are beautifully recorded and beautifully acted. Yes, because I don't believe we ever actually... We don't ever hear Lonnie speaking, do we? Um, we, we, we... No, there are only two voice actors in this game. And it's uh, Katie when she comes home leaving a voice message. Yes. And then the only other character you hear is Sam. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and um, and it is interesting again that that Lonnie is obviously only described through this third person, um, but equally is is a very well rounded character. Um, you know, you've you've got this, and, and I think a a conflicted character as well, uh, because you, you've mm-hmm. got this person who is a punk. You know, they're they're both very active in the Pacific Northwest mid nineties grunge alternative scene, um, but at the same time, she's someone who is going off to join the military yeah um, and there's a there's a sequence where they talk about don't ask don't tell there is and indeed. it's heartbreaking and I, and I think that's i think the setting is is very crucial in this and i think that's part of why it why it has to be set in the mid 90s because i think that is a very deliberate decision because for the most part one could arguably it could be set anytime um but i think setting it in the 90s is crucial for for certainly for queer uh, relationships and queer relationships in society because this is when um you know I, I believe that women were not allowed into frontline combat in the u.s army until 2001 i think um and obviously don't ask don't tell is something which was um i believe that was early 1990s implemented uh, which was a kind of a compromise to allow gay people to serve in the military if they um if they if they weren't open about it um, obviously, that was finally repealed in 2011, um, which is again shockingly recent. That's not that's neither here nor there. Um, and this this is also a time when um, you know in, in public um, being queer was um, was was certainly becoming more visible. But equally, you had people like Ellen DeGeneres, who um, I think it was 1997, she had her own sitcom um, just called Ellen. Um, not related to her current show um, where she acts nice and then bullies her staff um, <laughs> where she she had she had a sit isn't it nice that gay people can be abusive bosses too now oh absolutely um, but she she had this sitcom it was relatively successful until someone outed her and upon being mm. outed um, she became toxic to the to the networks because Again, while they would talk a big game on LGBT inclusivity, when it came to actually, you know, putting the money where the mouth was, it didn't happen. You know, if, if you think about, certainly if you think about video games contemporary to this, there weren't really any queer icons. Um, I think um, mm. possibly, is it Poison in Street Fighter? I think is trans. But even then, I think that's played for kicks almost. Yes, I'm not sure. I think that's Streets of Rage, maybe. It's Streets of Rage, yeah. I know it's a side-scroller. Yes, yeah. And certainly the, I think there's a, a, a hint in the game that upon reflection is quite amusing that she keeps talking about... She keeps referencing Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 2 is referenced constantly throughout yes. this game. Uh, and like you find out that her favourite character is like Chun-Li and she's like recording all these things. And you also find out one of the only reasons she has, uh, <laughs> she has a, a friend who's uh, their next-door neighbour, and she's only friends with him because he is Street Fighter 2. Oh, yes, that's true, yeah. And and that's actually one of the... Um, well, I appreciate we are kind of seesawing back and forth between topics here. Mm. Um, but no, I think that was one of the... Um, the kind of the... the more emotional moments in the game where... Um, and, and I think a moment that I resonated with quite a lot was in the kitchen where you find the note from the neighbour where they're talking about mm. how they used to be such good friends. And and you can tell, again, more environmental storytelling, you've got things like the um, the pirate story that um, 
that she's mm-hmm. writing, uh, where initially, where you know, you start off and it's the female first mate, but but though actually they were originally male and they were transformed into a girl. Um, yes. And, yeah. And there's also like you see that story develop as she grows older, which is brilliant. And so not I only, <laughs> yeah, and so as not only does the storytelling get more like developed in terms of the maturity, the ability to tell the story, you can see her own life is being pushed into this narrative about oh for sure uh, the pirates which is of course then also reflected in her dad also um pushing his uh personal experiences into his hi-fi reviews yes indeed oh and that's <laughs> actually another another thing about the dad is that um the the incident where he was molested as a child happened um at thanksgiving 1963 uh, just after the kennedy assassination Hence his obsession with the Kennedy assassination for the books. Yes, and his obsession with changing it. Um, but so, anyway, going back in time. Yeah, we are we are going on all sorts of diversions here. We're going back in time ourselves. Um, but uh, we're doing what the game does. We're doing non-linear storytelling. <laughs> but yes, um, it's it's a particularly sad moment when her her friend, who she borrowed Street Fighter off, comes over, and and she describes how you know how how did we stop becoming friends um you know we, we sort of just drifted apart and it's it's not that they were ever necessarily romantically involved they were just friends but over time they they just grew apart and i think that is something which um you know i i can empathize with i think everyone can empathize with it that sometimes hmm. we do just grow apart from our friends yeah and there's i mean the game is is filled to the brim with concepts of nostalgia and uh concepts of like understanding and interpreting one's own past yeah i think the setting of you know of the mid-1990s is very much a um part of it is uh playing on a nostalgia you know you've got things like Mm. the street fighter the super nintendo you've got the posters um up in the bedrooms for 90s bands you've got nirvana things like that again it's 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 the the kind of the it's very much a, a gen x nostalgia thing but it's also the idea of gone home it's also the idea of coming back to somewhere that feels familiar but at the same time is different yes and so you as the player hopefully i certainly think it's the intention of fulbright uh that the person playing most likely will have been alive during the 90s so even though this isn't your home there are things in this home that you recognize there are things in this home that are going to make you smile just because you remember VHS tapes. You remember yes. recording things off the television and having, you know, these enormous three-hour cassette tapes that had, like, two films yeah. on them, which I remember doing as a kid. I remember having these enormous cassette tapes with, like, entire series of shows on, which now seems maddening. The idea that you want to watch episode four of something, so you've got to fast-forward through a tape and then stop it and pause it and check. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. And, and yeah, they, I think... Going back to the set dressing, they've done an excellent job of making this house feel like a 90s house. Um, mm. you know, it, it does feel it. You know, you've got the, the big TV, you've got the, uh, again, the cassette tapes. And actually, I think the cassette tapes is something interesting to talk about. The fact that in terms of, of kind of, of diegetic audio, you've got the cassette tapes that you can find with the punk music on them that you can always find mm. and put and listen to which I think does um, expand upon the story more because it shows you, okay, this is the kind of music that they that they listen to. Um, this is the kind of person that they are. Yeah, and that's really interesting because you go through the stages. One of the things I, I certainly found myself doing this time was going, oh, how old is my little sister now? Yeah. How old is she? Because I'm finding things from across her life. I'm finding things from when she's like at high school for the first time. 
right through to finding a porn magazine she's hidden <laughs> in her locker. Yeah. Um, and I got I got a bit. So this is something I picked up on that I absolutely loved. That I think plays into this idea of the playfulness of this game in terms of it using its mechanics. Which is when you point at things, they get a label on them. So you point at a coffee cup and it says coffee cup. And you point at a coaster and it says coaster. Uh, and sometimes you'll point at things. And like one of my favourites is you'll point at your little sister's teddy bear. And it will say, Steli? Steger? What's she called? <laughs> and if you pick up the teddy bear and look at the label, the next time you look at the thing and goes, she's called Steger. She's called, um, she's called Steggy. I didn't get that. That's something I missed. Ah, when you find the porn magazine, it's labelled as oh Sam. Oh, yes, I got that. Um, yeah, yeah, but I didn't. I didn't find the teddy bear. This is the thing with this game is that there's lots of little details that you almost certainly didn't pick up on. So, like you found you found a, a storyline I'd never heard of it. Yeah. Um, but also, there's little mechanics in this game, little things that get changed, and the authorial voice of the person you're playing as directly affects how you interact with the environment. I think um, you, you mentioned there the, the little funny little kind of ways that it plays with um, with kind of the ludology of it. Um, I liked well, one thing that did actually make me laugh out loud was when you see the note from the mother on the board, which is uh, make sure you turn off the lights. You're always, you're worse than your sister going around the house, leaving the lights on because obviously <laughs> as a player character, you have been going around the house and leaving the lights on because you know, you're not going to turn them off after you've left the room because that room is done to you mechanically but also it's actually really hard to navigate this house in the dark like they've actually done quite a good job of using light and darkness in this game oh definitely to make to make the environment it's also a good way of knowing where you've been yes um which again is a clever mechanic but also it's great you go into a room it's dark of course it's dark every house in every room is dark until someone enters it and turns Mm -hmm. the light on you look for the light it's almost certainly where you expect it to be yes it's not a puzzle to find the light switch but it's very immersive. It is. It very much makes you go, I am in a family home, yeah. so I'm going to open this door and I'm going to look to the left or right and on the wall there will be a light switch. Bingo, there it is, off we go. Yeah, and I think actually going back to the, the child abuse storyline, when you go to the wood cellar, um, that conspicuously is a light that doesn't work. Um, you, you go to pull on the, um, on the cable because it's, um, it's in the basement and it doesn't turn on. And so that room wow. is left dark, which means that you can't see as much in there. Wow. I had I, this. This is. See, I brought this game to you, Kieran, because I went, Gone Home is one of the sweetest, nicest games I've ever played. <laughs> it makes me feel so, like, like warm in a sort of sad but romantic way. And now you're bringing this, this, absolutely this, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, and it's definitely an important and sad thing to put into a video oh, game. And I'm, 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 I'm kind of glad it's not what this game is about. I'm kind of glad it is, as you say, it's something that's there that's not easy to find, partly because it would almost certainly overshadow what is otherwise a very beautiful love story. It's a secondary story. The primary story mm. in, in Gone Home is, um, it is the love story. It, it is a love story. It is a, a romance story, I think you would almost say. And, and and even um, you know as, as someone who you know again speak, speaking personally, I'm kind of a romantic um, as it were. So I mm. I don't necessarily feel romance in in the normal way. I can still appreciate that this is a really lovely story. That these are you know these are two people who care about each other and um, and and fit together. And again, yeah, the, the game obviously finishes. You know, it's it's not so much on a cliffhanger, but it finishes with them 
you, you can sort of uh, imagine, I suppose, how the story goes next. It's up to you to kind of imagine where their story goes, you know. Maybe they come back to the house and they, they're still still together 25 years later, living happily, running a cat cafe in Salem, <laughs> Oregon. I don't know. Well, yeah, and it's and it's it's such a beautiful... And, of course, I think right up until the last minute it builds that tension because as you enter that final area of the attic, you get this very um, overwhelming sense of sadness because uh, hopefully if you've been finding things about the environment and not just rushing to the end, you know that you know that they're going to leave, you know that um, Lonnie's going to have to go and join the military, and you know that uh, that Sam talks about her absolute heartbreak. Yeah. So they don't they don't back out of like the emotional core of the story. They don't they don't step away from how sad it does get. But I think ultimately, like the thing, the final message you get is, "I'm sorry I wasn't there to see you." but I'm sure you'll understand. And I'm just there wiping a tear away going, of course I understand. I just want you to be happy. Yeah, I, th- I think the, um, the the moment where where you're in the basement, I think it is, and um, and, and Lonnie basically says, like, I, I can't join you at university. I'm going off to basic training. And it's like, yeah. and it's, it's certainly, that's a kind of, a, I don't know what the term would be for it. That's very much a cutting point in the storyline because up to this point, it's been, these two are great together. They love each other. Yes, they have their conflicts with the family, etc. But suddenly there is that conflict and and, mm. and their time together is limited. And and it's, it's kind of bringing into sharp focus the juxtaposition of Lonnie as this, you know, rebellious punk who is going off to join the military. Yeah, and they talk about the contradiction of that in the game. And rather than being presented as that doesn't make any sense, you're there going, I guess Lonnie doesn't even get Lonnie. And it's just... Yeah. And and again, it feels real. It feels like a human story. It doesn't feel like a contrivance when you're in the game. It does. And I, I think uh, presumably the people who play this are going to be, you know, in their 20s, 30s, etc., um, 40s. People who have been through high school, um, have been to college, have been to the military, etc. And I think can, can empathise, even if not directly, We've seen our friends who have what seems like lovely relationships at school, but then they go off to separate universities or they or one of them goes mm. to uni, the other one doesn't, and it doesn't work out. And 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 you know, for perfectly rational reasons. And we see that. And we we've we've seen this story before, so to speak, in, in real life. Yeah, yeah, you can you can completely appreciate the idea that this could be the end for them. The, the 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 realism of the stakes is that it's not uh it's not unrealistic to expect that actually this could be the end of their relationship yeah not not to say of course that long distance relationships can't work you know of course long distance relationships can work but in relationships which thus far have thrived off of proximity to suddenly become long distance can be very difficult and also one of them is about to go and join the military and yeah. have to deny or not ever address the fact that they're a lesbian yeah and the other one is trapped with a family that while not necessarily certainly we find out that Lonnie's family uh her mother in particular is very homophobic and uh channels that through yes the way she understands religion um we do we do get the feeling that Obviously, obviously, there is the the moment of heartbreak for any individual going through a breakup where it feels hopeless. But you do get this feeling that Sam feels trapped at home, and you don't really know 
in that moment of the story what her future could be yeah because uh, i mean she she has the uh, the writing residency it's it's almost i, th- I think that's you know, quite significant in that that's what her father um was was looking to do as well because uh, yeah she she yeah. gets the it, it is creative writing isn't it at the university um yes, which she's yeah. offered and, and she's doing it and she's doing it for a, a scholarship yeah so that will sort of cement her future at a university away from lonnie while lonnie is in the military and that yeah it, it feels all of the forces around them all of the forces that you know would any sensible person trying to make the most rational choices of course you take the scholarship of course you join the military after you've done the training the the world is pushing them apart the world is pushing them in these two directions yeah and so the threat of their relationship ending is incredibly real yeah these are already two people whose relationship is already under you know just natural stress from being queer in a very very straight world um and suddenly even more pressure it's um and I, I think it's also it's the kind of the transition of high school romance to you know serious romance you know and yeah yeah and and again it's i will say once more it's really nice to see queer high school romance um to see it presented as um in in a way that isn't just um you know lecherous or anything like that it is genuinely lovely to see just romance and it's genuinely lovely to see a queer romance storyline, as you say, portrayed at high school, and we focus on the love they have for each other and the time they spend together rather than the problems it causes them. Yeah. Because I think a lot of storylines in this direction will will be like, and then this person, uh, you know, discovered they were gay, and as a result, their whole world turned upside down, friends turned against them, parents cast them out, they had to go and live on the streets. And, you know, there's that instinct to turn a social issue into an issue for a character whereas i feel like this game does a wonderful job of showing no but it's beautiful and they're so happy and they love each other so much and the problems are present but there's also a huge focus on them talking about how much they love spending time together yes it it is just doing simple activities like again the, the aforementioned hair dyeing uh when I, I think that's when they first realize when, when lonnie says oh you're so beautiful and um, and it leaves Sam yeah. very confused, um, <laughs> and it's and it's 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 adorable. It is very cute. We've been talking for this game a while. I certainly think I've I've not got much more to say. Is there anything else you want to say about the game? I don't know. Um, it's it's obviously you know the, the question is um, was this the best video game that I'd never played? Mm. Um, it's difficult to say. It's <laughs> it, I, I know that's a cop out answer. It is unlike anything else that I tend to play or have mm-hmm. played. I mean, again, I think the closest thing it is is probably um, Outer Wilds. Um, although, again, it's it's on a very it's it, it is very different to Outer Wilds. I know we, we discussed the uh, the comparison more earlier. Um, mm. It's an excellent game, and um, and and I do thank you for recommending it. Um, and I'm very glad I I did play it. Um, I'm just honestly i'm just surprised it's taken me this long to play it um you know it's easy to overlook it's easy to overlook a two-hour video game and think ah well whatever it is yeah because it yeah at two hours it is something that you think oh i can just do that tomorrow i'll just do that tomorrow for six years (laughs) or also it, it can give a game a feeling of being like 
you know, a mod or a project or something, you know, something that's not a serious video game. It's not, you know, a serious video game. It's got to be at least 10 hours long before it's a serious video game. And I think... It's interesting that we think that way, isn't it? Because we wouldn't think that about a film. Absolutely not. I mean, to be fair, to be fair, Gone Home's £11 right now if you want to buy it new. And I can understand, you know, I just bought The Witcher 3 for £7.50. And that game's enormous. Yes. And so the idea that you're comparing these two things as, like, literal products on a shelf it is kind of bizarre to expect me to pay £11 for something that, as you say, you know, it's the length of a film. But I don't pay £11 to see a film. At most, I'm going to pay £5 to see a film at the local cinema. Uh, maybe I'll pay a little bit more to see it in IMAX. But if I'm going to IMAX, that's a premium experience. That's a huge screen. Even the £5 experience is premium. Gone Home is not a premium experience. Gone Home is a two-hour video game. It's graphically fine. It's got some good acting and some good sound, but it's certainly not going to win an award for technical prowess. Yeah, I, th- I think it does. I think it does play into the the, the old question, which I mean, it's, it's maybe you know, going back a few years now of what is a game. You know, it's it's because yeah. again, there are interactive elements to it. There are even elements where you know you've got little bits of memory, like with the um, the combination locks and things. Um, you know, and, and I think it, it, you know, it's, it's not like Dear Esther, where it is genuinely just sit and listen. Um, and I think it, it does raise interesting questions about what is a game, and, and this isn't really the place to discuss that. Um, no, it can be, you know. Well, I, I suppose. Um, but I mean, what, what? I mean, my, what do I want out of a game? My, is the question here? Cause that's you, true. You've asked, you know, is it the best game I've ever played? What is it that I want? Well, I mean, I'm someone who actually, you know, I. I play games on on easy difficulty. I I will I will hold my hand up now and admit that I play games on easy difficulty because I want to have a good time. Uh, I want to get through the story. Um, you know, I want to experience the story, uh, and I, I like to have a bit of a challenge. Sure, and and that's not to say that there isn't challenge in Gone Home. There is challenge. Um, certainly, if if you're not someone who is um, who is kind of au fait with video game tropes, there might be quite a lot of challenge. You know, I, I could imagine, you know, giving someone like my mum gone home. And I, I do think my mum would enjoy gone home. Um, mm. I, I think she would. Um, but I think she would struggle a lot more just because of, you know, basic concepts like, you know, click on this to open it, that kind of thing, um, because you know, she doesn't play games. My experience with people who can't play video games is that first person controls are not intuitive. They really yes. are not. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, it's it's just controls which have evolved over the last 20, uh, 28 years since Doom came out. But this is the thing. If we're talking, I, I think... So, look, I'm going to be facetious now. Um, Gone Home is as much of a video game as uh, Resident Evil without the gun in it. I agree. Yeah, I do agree. Like, you're exploring a house, you're solving puzzles. Okay, Resident Evil's puzzles are a bit more... Um, I don't know what the, the, the nice way to say it is, but they're they're a bit more cryptic. Um, they're certainly uh, not as logical as the ones you're solving in Gone Home in terms of where's the light. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. They are more puzzles with a capital P, I suppose. Yeah, I don't think you can tell the story of Gone Home without it being a video game. I don't think the story of Gone Home works, certainly not in the way... If you were to adapt Gone Home into a film or into a book or a story, it fundamentally changes as a story. Yes, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think... The, the fact that you've got the, um, you know, it's the non-linear narrative, and, and it's not that non-linear filmmaking hasn't been done. You know, Tarantino does it very well, of course. Um, but yeah, it's it's the fact that this is a personal story. It's about you 
and, and it is you, you know, the, the player character who, who is not the main character, which I think is quite a rare thing in a game for the player character to not be the main character. Um, mm. It's about you understanding it, which is not something that you get with a film. Because with a film, it's the audience. You know, this, this is an audience of one. It is a, I think playing this game is a personal experience. I, th I think it's, it's something which is it's going to be slightly different for everyone because everyone is going to bring their own experiences and their own memories and their own comparisons to this game. You know, I, I can look at this game and I can say I can see, you know, elements of my own life in this. And I'm sure you can as well. You know, it's the oh, yeah. certainly um, you know, as, as someone who moved away from from my parents at university um, and, you know, occasionally goes back down to see them. Um, it's and, and and indeed my parents did move house actually the first year I was away at university. Going back home does feel very alien, and you feel like a lot has moved on and changed without you. And sometimes, you know, you can almost feel there's a a resentment that um, from them that you're not there to do things. Um, yeah, well, again, it's a small moment, but if you go into your room. It's all in boxes. There's nothing it is there. indeed. Yes, it's and that's I think very much a feeling that anyone who has who has left their parents' house can uh, can empathise with. When you go back to your parents and they've turned your room into the guest room. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, I'm sorry. It's just something that I I picked up on. Um, something that I brought up actually when I did Obra Din, which is that I like discussing the idea of the story of the game. Although there is a story in this game about Sam, the story of a game is what you, the player, do in it. It's always that you know there is this idea that we focus on story as, uh, you know, law and things characters say and cutscenes and so on. But actually, this is the story of a game of someone coming home to an empty house and going, what is going on? And that's perfectly connected to you, the player. You too, the player, don't know what's going on. And now there's a fun disconnect in that your character has slightly more knowledge than you, which is sort of the inverse of dramatic irony, which I don't even know what you call that. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Character knowledge, I guess. Hmm. Um but we also know that this character hasn't actually visited this home before. So when you're unfamiliar with the layout of the home, so are they. When you don't know where to find things, neither do they. Yeah. You've got things like the, the secret panels in the house, which is very cool. I think we, we all, every one of us growing up, wanted a house with secret panels and secret passageways. <laughs> um, that, that was another um, example, by the way, of, of something. I don't know if you got that, that the house was um, originally a rum-running house. Oh, I didn't know that. That's very cool. Yeah, that's um, again in the down in the cellar. You can find a scrap of paper which um, is from like a 1930s organised crime thing talking about um, alcohol, and that's why it's got all the secret passages because it was run by a um, a rum runner. That's fantastic. See the detail in this. I didn't even pick up on that. I didn't even think to question that. I was like, it's a big house with secret passages. What fun! Mm. So. Here we go, Kieran. We're coming up on an hour. We are, yes. we got to ask the question. Is Gone Home the best video game you've never played? Hmm. Oh, you're killing me. I know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh. Hmm. Okay, okay. What, in theory, do you think would have made it the best video game you've ever played. What do you think's missing in this game? That's an interesting question, actually. Yeah, what, how, how, would, how could you make the game better? Not even necessarily how could you make the game better. Like, there's elements of video games... It's like... I did The Witcher 3 recently. <laughs> and, 
And there's there's lots about that game to me that's objectively fixable. But also there's a certain part of me that's always going to admit the The Witcher Three, he never had a shot, really, because it's just not the kind of game I like. I just don't mm. like that that type of genre, that type of storytelling. Um, and like, it had an uphill battle, and it came out pretty good. It came out better than I expected, and I actually liked it more than I thought I was going to. But it wasn't the best game I'd never played because I knew there'd be other games out there I'd love. Is there what is missing in this game, or this game could never hope to have ever done for you? that means you're like, no, I think the best game I've never played is still out there. That's that's an interesting way of thinking about it, I suppose. Because I'm just thinking when I play other games, I'm quite often thinking, you know, how how could this game be improved? You know, I think about, you know, everything from, you know, UI to, to gameplay decisions to plotting and pacing, etc. I think everyone does. And I'm just thinking how... Like, is it is it that you think the best video game you've never played does actually have to have some action mechanics? That it does actually have to be a bit more involved in what you're doing? No, I don't think. It, I'm, I'm just thinking about what what my favourite game of all time is. Um, <laughs> oh no, that's a whole other podcast. That's a much bigger concept. I, I know, I know. Uh, but I'm thinking about you know what I'm thinking. What do I like? What do I look for in a video game? Yeah, and, and I think yeah. some some of my favourite games. Um, certainly that I would compare are Outer Wilds um, yeah. and Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, which are both games which are both games that have much gamier elements. Like they I, are, we discussed it a bit. But in Outer Wilds you have to fly a spaceship. They, and that involves you. They do have gamier elements, but I suppose at the same time there's quite a lot in common with with Gone Home. In the in both scenarios, you're trying to find out what's going on. You are, I suppose, an outsider in this world, and yeah. So, I suppose on balance, based on the kind of things that I like, I'm going to say yes. Yes, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations! Oh. You recommended a very very good game to me. I'm very glad. I'm very glad you enjoyed it. More than anything, I, to be honest, I'd already taken the victory when you said you were glad you played it because, honestly, I think there are so many video games out there that we try and recommend to one another and we try and guess each other's tastes. And like the whole point of this podcast for me has been finding out what other people's favourites are and giving them a go and seeing if they're also for me. And so I'm really glad that I put something on your plate and oh, it was tense. It was tense for a moment there, Kieran. <laughs> But even if you turn around and said, no, I think I need a game that has more gaming mechanics, that has more action mechanics, I would have totally understood. But I'm really glad you enjoyed Gone Home. I did. And like I said, I'm I'm not someone who looks for a challenge. I'm not a, you know, a Dark Souls fan or anything like that. So I think a game like this is um, is 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 good. It, it is good. I I like walking simulators <laughs> as, as, as pejorative <laughs> as that term is. I like story-based games. I like games which have narrative to them. Um, and and again, and you mentioned kind of earlier on that like you kind of see this this as being a bit of an argument. And this certainly hasn't felt like an argument to me because I think we are both in agreement here that Gone Home is a very special game. It absolutely is. And I think on that note, I'm going to say thank you very much for coming back, Kieran, for playing Gone Home. And I'm really glad that Gone Home was the best video game that you've never played. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. 
Huge thanks to Kieran Douglas there for not only coming back on the podcast, but fully playing through Gone Home to do so. Uh, it's a real joy to be able to share stuff that you love. That's part of the reason I made this podcast. Part of the reason I really wanted to do a show that was framed around this was I think it's really fun and wonderful to share things that you love with other people and to find out what they thought about it and to, you know, just to have a really good time in terms of like being positive with the things that we love. With that in mind, are you enjoying this? Why not share it with people? Uh, you can share this podcast. It's on iTunes. It's on Google Podcasts. It's on Spotify. It's all over the web. I'm sure however you found it, uh, you could share it with other people. If you could leave us a review on iTunes or other platforms, please do. Every rating helps uh, the podcast get found by more people. And the more people who find it, uh, then uh, hopefully down the line, uh, the bigger and better uh, I can make the show. I can get on more guests. I can get on more people uh, to bring on more unusual games. Uh, Once again, thanks to Kieran for coming on the show. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, everyone. Stay safe.